The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. <laughs> and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today, and welcome into our final mailbag podcast of the offseason. Frank Stanfield joined by Chris Towers and maybe Scott White at some point. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, but you are listening or watching this on Saturday April 2nd. Chris, I don't have as fun of a food question as I did last week. You know, I thought the, the egg sandwich construction question was, mm-hmm. was pretty fun. Uh, I am a big fan of pasta, though. I've never asked you about pasta. Do you have a favorite dish? I uh, love, a, love a gnocchi with, oh. like a, with like a cheese sauce. I think that's probably my, my favorite of the, of the various pasta permutations, although I, I like them all. Love yeah. a vodka sauce. You oh, know, I yeah. love, a, love, a, love, love a pasta. You know, what's not to like, really? Yeah, I mean, come on. It's fantastic. Gnocchi with pesto sauce. Creamy pesto. Mm. Sure. That's sure. awesome. That's awesome. Penny olive vodka. That's, you know, it's a classic staple. You throw some grilled chicken in there. Fantastic. Today on the show, we've got your mailbag questions. We've got some Apple Pod questions and your emails. Fantasybaseball at CBSI.com. We have a fantasy justice question that we'll get to a little bit later on as well. Let's start with those Apple Podcast questions. We appreciate everyone leaving a five-star review, and this one's from Dr. Funk. Hey, Jake, Cece, and Corey. No idea. I guess that would be... Are those Brewers? Cece, Sabathia, Corey Hart? Corey, Corey Hart and... Jake. I don't know who Jake is. PV wasn't on that team, right? PV was the no. Padres. Yeah, uh, no. I'd have to look into that one. 12-team, 5x5 Roto, where we change picks every round. Basically, we draw chips from a jar. You go there, and you go there and back with a pick, and then you put the chips back, and you draw again. This system rewards adaptability on the fly, but doesn't allow as much game planning beforehand, which is fair because not everyone has as much time to game plan as everyone else. Do you guys have any advice for how to handle this situation, and are you doing a full draft guide like you did last year? Funny you ask. That is live on the site. I will put the link in the YouTube and podcast description. So if you need it this weekend, you can find it. Chris did great work. And of course, you just punch in your email and they'll send it to you right away. Uh, but Chris, back to the question. This is this is kind of a fun concept. I've never heard of a draft like this before. And uh, yeah. I guess you need to be like versatile and on your toes, but it sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is... I, I don't know how you game plan for it really because you don't know what every round's going to give you. I think you just kind of rather than having specific players, I think you do have to be 
you know, you have to have an idea of what kind of team you want to build either way. And, and so that's kind of the way I approach most of my drafts where I don't necessarily go in thinking I'm going to have X, Y, and Z players no matter where I'm picking from. You know, it's more about the the fundamental draft strategies that I go with. And so for me, you know, that's typically the that hero SP, you know, get two SPs in the first 10 rounds and then load up on upside after that, stuff like that. So, you know, I don't know how much my approach would necessarily change in this format, mostly just because I'm not making specific plans ahead of time either way. I think, you know, you should be you should be flexible no matter what draft draft style you have, I guess is the way I would say it. So I actually thought about it the other way, Chris. I remember just the other day we were doing our favorite, you know, round by round draft targets and I think if you just kind of use that as a as a base, you know, take each of our three favorite picks from each round and just go kind of go based on, all right, well, wherever I'm drafting in this round, I, I know that I have a couple of options that I like sure. here. And then you can kind of just plan around that as well. But yeah, I think obviously going in with like a, a, a meta strategy, I guess, is what you're talking about. That makes some sense as well. Yeah. This, this next one's from Dave, Dear Hulk, Kevin, and Scott. Uh, that's the NWO. That's the original NWO. NWO. That's or right. Wolfpack. Yeah, I guess. Well, no, Wolfpack came a little bit later on, but yeah, these okay. are these are the OGs. Rest in peace, Scott Hall, of course. Man. Keeping Whit Merrifield, Robbie Ray, Freddie Peralta, and Max Scherzer. Ten team, forty total guys kept. Five by five roto and OBP instead of batting average. Quality starts instead of wins. We'll have my choice between Degrom and Harper. Pitching will be gone very quickly with the keepers. Who would you go with? Uh, all right, so has already got three pitchers on this team and Whit Merrifield. Yeah, I think. I think you take Harper. Yeah. Because you, you've got, I mean, in a 10-team league, Robbie Ray, Freddie Peralta, and Max Scherzer, that's a heck of a start already. So I think you you just take Harper and, you know, especially given, you know, the, the longer-term injury concerns for DeGrom, uh, I think Harper's the way to go there. Yeah, I agree with that, too. You've already got an ace in Scherzer. I'm, you got potentially multiple aces here. Scherzer, Robbie Ray, Freddie Peralta. Yeah. And I think Bryce Harper and Whit Merrifield, they do complement each other quite a bit as well. So uh, yeah, go with Bryce Harper over DeGrom. This one's from SMS1717. I'm in a 12-team head-to-head categories league. And in the seventh round, I had Charlie Morton, Carlos Correa, and Corey Seager still on the board. My team at that point consisted of... Vlad, Devers, Brandon Woodruff, Pete Alonso, Jose Altuve, and George Springer. I ended up drafting Charlie Morton and snagging Willie Adamas, Justin Verlander, and Clayton Kershaw in succession. I feel like it worked out, but did I leave too much value at shortstop after ending up with Verlander anyways? Who would you have drafted in that scenario? I believe I have Corey Seager as the top-ranked player among this three. I think it's actually pretty close between him and Morton. But uh, yeah, it is Seager, Morton, and then Correa for me. So, you know, I, I think Morton's fine because you only had one starting pitcher at that point. But knowing that Justin Verlander was there, you know, I, I think you could make a case that ending up with Seager, another pitcher, and then Verlander might have made more sense. But I don't have much of a problem with it. If anything, it does feel a little early for Willie Adamas. You know, that that's the, seems like the kind of situation where, what, what's that, the eighth round, you probably would have been able to get him a little later to, based on where uh, he typically goes. So, but overall, I, I don't have a problem with it. I just, you know, I do have Seager ranked higher, but I'm, I imagine I'm not in the consensus on that 
for the fantasy industry as a whole or you and Scott. I know Scott still likes Corey Seager quite a bit. Let me pull up his top 300. Yeah, I've got I've got Corey Seager as a top 40 player. I mean, he he's really the only time he's missed over the past three seasons was when he got hit by a pitch, which yeah. I don't I don't think you hold against him. And basically the past two seasons, he's hit like a chart, like a Freddie Freeman clone mm-hmm. when he's been on the field. You know, like he's really, really good. Yeah, for sure. And I'm looking at it now. Scott has Seager 45th. He has Charlie Morton ranked one spot behind him, 46th. There you go. And uh, I actually have Seager ranked ahead of Charlie Morton as well. But Chris, I, I guess this is more of like a just pure strategy conversation. But I think it's okay to veer off of sure. overall rankings when it comes oh, down I- to like your need at that point in the draft. So if you need an SP2, totally fine taking Charlie Morton and winding up with Willie Adamas, someone you know we all like as well. Sure, I, I don't draft just based on best player available sure, right, yeah. at all times. I, I don't think anybody should because your your best player available is going to depend on a, bu- a bunch of different factors. And so, you know, your your rankings are going to be a static list, but you shouldn't treat them as if they are because, like, there will be a point in every draft where, like, my top remaining player is an outfielder for, like, seven straight rounds, and I can't take 14 outfielders or whatever it would end up being. So... You know, you you try to account for that in your rankings with positional scarcity, but to a certain extent, like you're just going to reach points where you have to pick who the guys who aren't necessarily your top ranked player, especially in a categories league, Chris. I mean, yep. you can't just follow a top 300 ranking list and think that your team is going to come yep. out balanced, right? So you have to weigh, you know, hey, even Corey, you know, while Corey Seager might be the top ranked player, you know, maybe I need speed at this point, so I've got to yeah, look. You in might a have a direction. bigger need than just yeah. yeah. Yeah, so definitely keep that in mind in that format. This one's from 8-Bit Jedi. Dear Ricky, Paul, and Dave. Oh, this sounds like some kind of old baseball thing that Chris would know, but not me. Is that like an Oakland Athletics outfield? I'm trying to... Was it a Yankees outfield? Uh, Maybe, actually. At one point. Paul O'Neill, Ricky... Did they play together? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, we'll look it up. Best value in a points league for my last keeper. $21 Aaron Judge, $6 Freddie Peralta, $1 Alec Manoa, $1 Shane McClanahan, and $1 Carlos Rodon. Ooh. I think that might be Carlos Rodon. Um, it's either him or Freddie or Freddy Peralta, I think. Yeah, Carlos Rodon's been climbing up the rankings, and he's someone that... I've been coming around more on throughout spring training. Um, I think, you know, some people might hear that and think it's hypocritical, Chris, but I think that you have to be flexible with your thought process on certain players because we said a lot this offseason that we need more information when it comes to Carlos Rodon. You know, mm-hmm. throughout the lockout, we were just kind of left wondering, you know, what happens next for Carlos Rodon? You know, he yeah. uh, he didn't even get the qualifying offer from the White Sox, right? And the last we saw of him is, you know, his velo was down the past month in the season. And, you know, we had legitimate question marks there about, you know, how healthy he was. And then, all right, shows up in spring, signed a two-year contract with for a decent amount of money, $44 million yeah. with the Giants. Great organization. He's throwing 98 miles per hour in spring training. I think this is a player that you, you should change your opinion on throughout uh, throughout yep. this time of year. So, yeah, $1 Carlos Rodon. I, I think I still have McClanahan ranked the highest of the three, but they're right in the same tier, the, right, the, the same point in my rankings. McClanahan, Manoa, Rodon. So, 
if you like Rodon yeah. more than the rest of those two, I I have no problem with it. Yeah, and and I do. So that that's yeah, that's the way I would go. I'm still trying to figure out this Paul O'Neill. It's like no, I don't. It's not Paul. I did a Google search. I don't think that's what it is, but I right. can't. It's I don't know. <laughs> All right, um, let's move on. This one's from Cajun Pete. Hello, Paul, Robin, and Raleigh. Raleigh fingers, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. <clears throat> We're getting stumped here. There's a shirt. The Brewers. Uh, uh Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, and Raleigh Fingers. Ah, yeah, I think that's right. All right. Did I win this trade? I am in a 10-team head-to-head categories league with saves plus holds. I have the third pick in my draft and traded my first, fourth, and fifth round picks for the 10th picks first, third, and fourth round picks. I now own picks 10, 18, 23, 30, and 31. I have five of the first 31 picks. Uh, was it worth giving up an elite bat at pick three to get that? First, fourth, and fifth. For for first, first, third, and fourth. I think so. I think it is worth it. But you got, well, so you got... You move down from three to 10, but you get... You move up from your fourth round pick to this person's third round pick, and you move up from your fifth round pick to this person's fourth round pick. So you move up substantially. Well, one of them you do, right? Because the fourth you're moving up from... Oh, wait, no, yeah. I'm trying to do... <laughs> trying to keep track of it in my head. Yeah, with the snake draft, it's, it's kind of hard to uh, to calculate. But My thought is it's fine. Yeah, so you're moving. I think, because um, yeah, you got five in the first 31 now in a 10 team league, as opposed to you would typically have three. I think you didn't give up any total picks. You just kind of moved down in one spot specifically. And I think specifically in a 10 team league, Chris, you want as much, as many difference makers as you can possibly yeah. get. So while you're losing yeah. out on one difference maker at pick three, you're still going to get a pretty damn good player at pick 10. Now that that does though get into the fact that, you know, we all agree that there is a drop off after what the top five at this point or top four. Um, and so, you know, I do think it sort of depends on like if Ronald Acuna ends up getting there at 10 or Mike Trout, then I think it can work out really, really well. Um, but yeah, all in all, I think that's fine. I think, you know, losing, dropping from three to 10 to pick up, you know, that many high end picks is, is a, is a viable strategy. All right, so to answer your question, yes, Cajun Pete, you did win that trade. Let's move into some emails. Fantasybaseball at CBSI.com. This one's from Miles. Hey, Kyle, Marcus, and Wade. Kyle. Oh. Uh, these are Cubs starters. Kyle Hendricks, Cubs, Marcus. The top, top three in the Cubs rotation. Yeah. Marcus Stroman and Wade Miley. I drafted O'Neill Cruz in a couple of leagues, hoping he would make the opening day roster with the new CBA and its changes regarding prospects. Would you stash someone like Cruz? And if so, for how long? None of the leagues I have him in have NA spots, so I'm using a bench spot by keeping him on my roster. Uh, yeah, so just a couple of days ago, O'Neill Cruz was sent down to the minors. He's only played, I believe it's six games uh, at AAA, and they're yep. trying to like transition him into an outfielder as well. This is one of those situations where he's probably ready to play, but I, I also kind of understand why they send him down if he's learning a new position. Um, it sucks, but overall, I, I kind of get it. What do you think, Chris? Would you still use a 
regular bench spot to stash someone like O'Neill Cruz. Yeah, I mean, it, it it gets more difficult the longer the season goes on. And so if the Pirates end up holding him down until June, like that, you're going to have to make a, a really tough decision at some point. But at the start of the season, when everyone's healthy, presumably, and, you know, if you've got IL spots, yeah, I think you should you should be stashing O'Neill Cruz because he's the kind of player who, when he does get called up, it could be in the middle of April and he could be a, a, a real difference maker. You know, he could be someone who has, I mean, raw power comparable to anyone in baseball, seemingly, and, you know, the the potential to steal a, a decent amount of bases as well. So I'm very excited about Arno Cruz. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stashing him wherever I can. Yeah, in 68 games in the minors last season for O'Neill Cruz, he hit 310 with 17 home runs, 19 steals, and a 969 OPS. And so far in spring, he was 5 for 15 with two home runs. Just easy power, Chris. You've talked about it a lot. It's, these were pitches that were down, out of the zone. Mm-hmm. O'Neill Cruz just flicks his bat at it, and these these balls are flying like 400-plus feet. Yeah. So lots of upside. Definitely worth stashing him. Kyle, from a place where the cheese is under the sauce. That would be Detroit, right? That's their thing. Really? Is that a thing? Yeah. Mm. I think Detroit-style pizza is where the... It's like a pan pizza, cheese, and then they just drizzle the sauce on top. There's a... There's a place in Williamsburg that I went to recently that had Detroit-style pizza. It was pretty good. Oh, wow. I never saw it like that before. It's got a very, like, what I like about it, it's like I love a pan pizza, first of all. Mm. And then the, it's got a very, like, a hearty sauce. I've never been to Detroit. Fan. Have you been to Detroit, Chris? Never been to Detroit, no. No. All yeah. right, I got to get out there. I, I mean, hey. I love pizza, so I'd be down yeah, with that. I love pizza. Of course, you know, my mind just goes to New York originally, and, and there's a few spots in Brooklyn where they they put the sauce on top of the cheese. I, I think there's like a famous pizzeria called LMB's. It's in, I think it's Bensonhurst. Uh, so somewhere okay. deep out there in Brooklyn, but if you haven't tried it yet, Chris, you definitely should. It is awesome. Hey, yeah, I think Emmy's, might, Emmy's, might, Emmy's Squared might do that too. Rose's Pizza too, if you haven't had it. it's I love Rose. Rose's my go-to. Which Rose's do you go to? Uh, there's one in Williamsburg. Mm, it right. delivers. Let's talk about. Them. We'll talk about this afterwards because there's a few roses <laughs> here in Queens as well. I don't. I don't know if they're related. So now I'm. I'm Maybe. interested to know. I don't know. This one. Uh, no. Hey, Perry Turk and JD. Just finished my Scrubs rewatch. Uh, was surprised at how much I enjoyed the the last couple of seasons. I never. I didn't watch season nine. Uh, from what I've been told, you don't have to. But I was surprised at season seven and season eight. Pretty good. I. You know, I've seen a few episodes here and there. Is it actually worth watching, Chris? The first three to five seasons are really, really good consistently. Okay. I, I'm a big fan of Scrubs. Is it in there? Is it in the upper echelon of sitcoms or? It is for me. Yes. All right. All right. Good to know. I recently joined a 12-team 6x6 Roto League with OPS and quality starts with standard lineup slots, corner infield and middle infield, but only three outfield spots and one utility. Is it wise to punt outfield knowing there's six infield slots and only three outfield slots? I'm guaranteed a top 50 outfielder no matter where I take them in the draft. I'm also thinking about completely punting steals. Um, okay. I hate this league. 12 teams, six by six roto. So if it's just straight up roto, if it's not head to head categories, I would not punt any category. That's just- yeah, you can't. It's hard to punt in an actual roto league. If it's categories head to head, then you're fine doing it. But no, I don't think that's a but like I, I, the, the math on this is all wrong. There oh, are yeah. four starting infielders in every team and there are three starting outfielders in every team. 
But here you've got six infielders for every fantasy team and only three outfielders for every fantasy team. So you're completely screwing up the the ratio, even without accounting for outfields just stronger than infield uh, in fantasy. So I don't like this. I think it totally devalues outfield. Um, but yeah, I think you you do have to devalue them in your in your approach. I don't think you should just punt because like Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto and Mike Trout and Mookie Betts and those guys play the outfield, but um. Yeah, filling up your three outfield spots super early, you know, could be a mistake. Yeah, you're gonna have to be cognizant of it at some point in the middle rounds. Like Chris said, don't avoid drafting an elite outfielder just because you only have three yeah. outfield spots. But you know, instead of if you draft someone like Trout or Betts, you know, maybe be wary of adding a a George Springer or, or someone else like that. Yeah. You know, too early in this draft. It's it's unfortunate, but yeah, talk to your league, man. At least add. One more outfield spot. You know, one of my home leagues, head-to-head points. We have corner, we have middle. Um, so there's six infield spots, but we we have four outfielders instead of five, and it, it seems to work out fine. It's you know the waiver wire is not you know too lopsided or anything in terms of like mm-hmm. uh, infielders versus outfielders. So try to get them to add at least one outfield spot if you can. This one's from yes. Ryan. I can keep one of these batters for the next two seasons in a 14-team head-to-head categories league. With OPS as an added category, it uh, doesn't say anything about pitching, but I guess for this question, it doesn't matter. Alex Kirloff in round 21, who has first base and outfield eligibility, or Kabert Ruiz in round 25? I would go with Kirloff. He's a, a little bit more expensive, but I think the difference between 21st and 25th round is non-existent. Um, and I just think Kirloff is likely to give you better production. Now, the, the catcher thing for Kabert Ruiz does matter. And, you know, there there is a path for Kabert Ruiz, given his contact ability, um, you know, to be a really, really good fantasy option at this position. But I think Kirloff has more upside as a hitter. Um, you know, obviously, I think if positions weren't a thing, Kirloff would be well ahead. And so... Yeah, I think given that, I'll just take the the guy I think is the better player. Yeah, makes sense to me. I'm I'm hoping that this wrist surgery can finally get Kirilov back on track. He's dealt with it the past couple of years, and yeah. he was really good last year before re-injuring that wrist, and the stack cast numbers supported him. There's a lot to like there. contact numbers were really good for Kirilov last year. Yeah, and, and that's not to say that Kabert Ruiz, you know, this isn't to downplay him because... I think he's exciting and there's upside there as well, but I do like Kirloff a little bit more myself as well. Uh, Let's hit a quick break, but first, reminder that you can send us your Listener League submissions this weekend. We still have a few spots available in our 16-team head-to-head categories league, the For the People League created by Heath Cummings. Uh, back in the day. And the draft will be this Tuesday, April 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We'll do it live on YouTube. We'll do it live. And I will announce who is in the league on Monday's podcast. So make sure to get those in on Saturday and Sunday. The email is fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. That's the letter I. Uh, When we return, we have more emails here. Fantasy Baseball Today. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, so let's jump back in. This one's from Kevin. He needs some dynasty help. I took over a big rebuild, and I have Shohei Otani. Should I try to trade for Julio Rodriguez and Patrick Sandoval or Bobby Witt Jr. and Logan Gilbert in a points league, or is that not enough? Should I ask for more? It's a lot, um, and I like all the players and all the various permutations. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like you might be able to get more. Just because the as much as we like Patrick Sandoval specifically and, and Logan Gilbert is also a breakout candidate for both of us, um, neither of them is established enough to go along with the top prospect. Now, Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez are really, really good prospects, but I don't know. It feels like one player light. I don't know if that that's the same case for you, um, but Otani's at the top of his value. You know, he's he's likely never going to have more value in Dynasty than he does right now. And so I would still be asking for more. All right, I pulled up Scott's top 150 Dynasty ranks, and he has Otani ninth overall, and he has Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez uh, 22nd and 23rd, respectively. So they are top 24 players. And yeah. uh, he has Logan Gilbert at 103, and Patrick Sandoval is not on the list. So... What a hater. Is the is a top 24 player and someone around pick 100 worth Shohei Otani. I think that kind of makes sense. I think it's I think it's close, but I I, yeah. I think I would want more. All right, so maybe try and get a Julio Rodriguez or a Bobby Witt and someone who we value higher than Logan Gilbert in a yeah. dynasty league. This one's from Sean to Jake, Rick, and Willie. That is the... Uh... 1989 Cleveland baseball team or whatever year that movie came out? Yes. Major League? Major League. A movie I actually have seen, believe it or not. I Great am in movie. A, <laughs> I'm in a head-to-head categories league with quality starts as a category. I need to pick an ace to keep for this year, and I'm stuck between Walker Bueller and Corbin Burns. Who should I keep and why? I believe we all have Corbin Burns ranked higher than Walker Bueller, but Walker Bueller produced a ton of quality starts last season, Chris. Yeah, I think that that might be enough to to balance it in Walker Bueller's favor. Like the hard thing to to know is how much of that usage was just the Walker Bueller's, you know, thrown full seasons each you know each of the past four. Whereas Corbin Burns had, uh, you know, full season in twenty twenty one, full season of twenty twenty, but twenty nineteen he was moved between AAA and the majors, and then in the bullpen. So, you know, would he have been able to throw more quality starts and, and match Walker Bueller for innings if that hadn't been the case? That's the unknowable thing here. Um, but we think he's a better pitcher than Walker Bueller. So, 
I don't know. I, I think I would still lean towards Corbin Burns. I think so as well. So I just did some quick math. Corbin Burns had 18 quality starts in his 28 starts last season. That's 64%. And -hmm. Walker Bueller had 27 quality starts. He led baseball by far. Robbie Ray, Mm -hmm. Sandy Alcantara, they were second with 23. Uh, Bueller had 27 in 33 starts, so that's 81%. But I think if Corbin Burns is as good as he showed he was last year and builds off the inning total that he had last year, then he should earn more quality starts. So, uh, yeah, I would still take Corbin Burns here. I, I think it makes this makes it closer, but I would take Corbin Burns as well. Uh, and he wraps up the email. Thanks, and never drink Joe Boo's rum. <laughs> you like rum, Chris? Yeah, yeah, rums. I, I had I had some some mojitos this weekend in Puerto Rico for sure. Yeah, uh, you know, I didn't even know what liquor they used for mojitos. Little little yeah, white uh, white rum. All right. And I think Puerto Rico is known for for rum, right? Yes, yes. Thank yeah. you. Uh, this that's, next that's one, the big uh, big <laughs> distillery. This one's from Terry. Hey Troy, Sam, and Francisco. Um, I think I know what this is because I saw it in the email he included. Do you have any guesses, Chris? You're muted. I, I am right. blanking on it right now. That appears to be 2002 Angels relievers. Oh, Troy Percival, Francisco Rodriguez, and gosh, I don't know who Sam was. <laughs> I don't know who uh, Sam is either. Let's quickly pull up the 2002 Angels roster, and we'll figure this out. So, I feel like that's one I should know. Sam, Sam, Sam. I don't see a Sam. I don't see a Sam. Maybe it's 2000. I don't see one. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't. I think this guy's lying. Oh, we found a loophole. I don't, I don't know if he's lying. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe send us a follow-up email and let us know what we're missing here. Have you guys ever looked at the tie between hard hit rate and first pitch strike percentage? I haven't, but I heard AJ Hinch say this week that Tarek Skubal could get his hard hit rate down if he could throw more first pitch strikes. Maybe something to look into with young pitchers who have high hard hit rates. Uh, I, so I've... I've seen some data, some studies done on this where obviously the results that happen within an at-bat are drastically changed whether or not you go 0-1 and and Mm 1-0. So I think that, first and foremost, is a fact. I think that you can use first pitch strike percentage to... You know, maybe find hitters who uh, pitchers were who were unlucky the the prior year. But with that being said, Tarek Skubal already had a sixty four percent first pitch strike percentage last season, which is a very good mark. League average for starters is sixty one point six percent, so he's well over league average. Yet his hard hit rate on Fangraphs was thirty eight point four percent, which was the highest in baseball. And I know Statcast hated Tarek Skubal as well. So. Chris, I don't really know how much more Tarek Skubal could actually improve his first pitch strike percentage and how much that would help with his hard hit rate. Yeah, that's a tough one, you know, because one of the questions I have is does first pitch strike percentage include like plate appearances where the batter hit the first pitch and put it into play? Because that is something that generally speaking, hitters do uh, much better on first pitch swinging. Now that's typically because pitchers are you know, hitters are p- swinging at pitches in the first pitch that are more advantageous to swing at. But um, 
Yeah, I don't really know what to make of that because it's also like, you know, you're balancing it out. Is Tarek Skubal or any pitcher who doesn't throw a lot of first pitch strikes, if we want to, you know, not include Tarek Skubal, are they going to adjust to that by throwing more first pitch fastballs? And is that actually going to make them, you know, more, uh, you know, more effective? That that's tough. Like, yes. It is better for every pitcher, like you said, to throw more first pitch strikes. It's just, you know, whether that's something that we can predict as a, you know, a specific feature, I I don't really know how much value there would be in that. So I just looked into F strike percentage as it's known on fan graphs, the percentage of plate appearances um, or batter's face that the first strike was the first pitch was a strike. This includes any time that the count after the first pitch was 0-1 or any time the ball was put into play on the first pitch of plate appearances. Yeah. And I believe it's our buddy Nick Pollock from Pitcher List who has referenced that there is a, I don't know which site has it, but somewhere there is a true first pitch strike percentage stat mm-hmm. that does not include balls in play. So I, I guess that would be more interest, interesting to know for Tarek Skubal because... It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of these first pitch strikes that he's throwing, according to Fangraphs, are, are the ones that are getting crushed. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks like about a little less than 10% of his plate appearances ended on the first pitch. He had 70 plate appearances that were where the ball was put in play. On the first pitch, he gave up a 908 OPS against them. That, that'll happen. That's, you know, like I said, hitters tend to do better when they swing at the first pitch. So, I don't know if that's an... Uh, an abnormally high or low number. So, you know, th- this is something that would probably require more research than just doing it on the fly to have an answer. Hey, this is what's so awesome about baseball, Chris, is like the chess match, right? So obviously... Just an infinite number of possible questions. There's so many because as a pitcher, you'd love to start 0-1, but you can't just float a ball in there because, you know, yeah. the best hitters, they're obviously going to take advantage. And that's where you see, I think truly where you see the aces, the elite starting pitchers in baseball separate themselves because they can find ways to steal first pitch strikes, whether it's you know throwing a breaking ball for a first pitch, which we're seeing way more the past like five years yeah. than we've ever seen in baseball before that. Um, but I think that's what really truly separates the elite ace starting pitchers uh, from the not elite starting pitchers is, you know, finding mm-hmm. creative ways to, to steal that first pitch strike. This next one is from Peter. Hey guys, long time fan here. I was just wondering how much stock we should put into the mock draft team rankings that we get during and after the draft. I am not sure if any other websites do this, but Yahoo, which is what I use for fantasy does this. It ranks the teams based on the cumulative uh, stats for roto drafts. A part of me always wants to be in the top five of the rankings after a mock draft, but at the same time, these are based on projections provided by the website, which I don't believe should have too much importance. What do you think? You'd rather have a good team than a bad team coming out of the draft, and that would be a one uh, measure of a potential good or bad team. But the thing with projections is... Generally speaking, you're going off of the most what what these various projection systems say is the most likely outcome for every player on your team. And now the thing about that is that the most likely outcome is the most likely outcome. It's not the outcome that happens like consistently, you know, like projections are better as a whole than just people guessing. 
You know, like that, that's just true. And then every good fantasy analyst will use projections as part of their process. But projections aren't going to, you know, by definition, they're going to miss on outlier performances. And outlier performances are what, go, what are going to define your fantasy season. And, and you know, I, I guess another way to look at it is like most of your draft picks are probably going to either meet or fall short of expectations. And the way you win your fantasy league is with those handful of guys who wildly out-exceed, out, uh, exceed your expectations. And there aren't many players who are projected to wildly outperform their draft price in, in you know, most fantasy drafts, just because one, a lot of, like I said, a lot of analysts are incorporating projections into their process. Those projections are part of what makes the default rankings in your leagues. And, you're not going to find like the obvious values through projections necessarily. It's the guys who outperform their projections or underperform their expectation, their projections who are going to kind of make or break your fantasy league. So look, it's fun. I want to be in first place in the projected rankings coming out of the draft, but it doesn't matter. You shouldn't like, unless your team is just like fundamentally flawed in some way based on those projections in a way that's like, hard to deny like you just have zero stolen bases and you can't look at it and say well that's wrong um then yeah i mean it's just fun you shouldn't take much stock in it at all i appreciate your well thought out articulate answer chris i have a lot quicker one i don't care about this at all (laughs) i do not care about the emails that they send you right after your draft and they tell you hey your team is awesome you know i i almost would rather them Tell me my team is bad because I just, you know, half the time I don't agree with the projections that are on websites. So uh, I think it's funny because we did our head-to-head points listener league on Wednesday night and we got the email afterwards. Scott, Chris, Scott, you and myself, we were the bottom three ranked teams in draft grade right after. So uh, you love to see it. Scott had C minus. I had a D. You had a D minus. So it's like it's funny because, you know, we're doing this this draft with listeners and, you know, we could get a little kick out of it. But Ultimately, it, it really does not matter much to me at all. Um, so I don't think it should matter to you either. This one's from Zach in Scranton. Dear Happy, Sonny, Billy, and Nikki. Those are the main characters of the four movies that Frank has seen. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what's your favorite Adam Sandler movie, Chris? Um, Favorite Adam Sandler movie is probably... Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> There's so many. I honestly... I'm blanking. I'm about to Azer take this up. This is a very, very unpopular take. It just like generally, I guess, in the world, the world of Adam Sandler. I love Little Nicky. I think it is so ridiculous. It is so funny. And, and it holds up to me. Like I watch it now and it's, it's just so ridiculous. And I still laugh. I go back and watch it now. And I, I think it's I think it's so funny. I think it was ahead of its time. Yeah. So uh, Little Nicky, I'm in. I know a lot of people hate Little Nicky, but. I love it. I think it's hilarious. I think it's probably Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Um, Happy Gilmore is awesome. I think that's the one. I like the tearjerker ones too. Like Big Daddy was awesome too. Like it was funny, you know, it was It's too know, long. It, it's yeah. too long for me. <laughs> but no, I I think it's I think it's Happy Gilmore. I have the fifth pick in a 10-team, 6x6 Roto League. OPS and quality starts are the extra categories. Uh, assuming the top four go as planned, should I target Bo, Bichette, uh, Garrett Cole, or Bryce Harper at fifth? I feel like I'd be reaching for Bo, but the steals upside is great, and I'm confident I can get Bueller, Scherzer, or Corbin Burns with my second pick. Where's the value here? 
So this is a format where Boba Shett does lose a little bit of value because OPS, he just is not a standout in. He was like 840 or something last year, despite you know having a very good season overall. Bryce Harper was much better in OPS, but that's only one of six categories. And you look at the rest of them and you think Boba Shett probably should be better in four of them, I would guess. Average uh, steals, RBI and runs. Maybe one of the runs or RBI are, are not, but... I don't know. I, I, I think that's close. Um, I kind of think I would go Harper over Boba Shett, though, because, you know, yes, Bo, Boba Shett does have the stolen base upside that Bar- Bryce Harper doesn't. And he might have eight to 10 more steals, but those steals are less valuable because it's one of 12 categories instead of one of 10. Um, and so that gap matters less. So if you think you'll be able to get one of the high end pitchers with your next pick, then yeah, I think uh, Bryce Harper and an OPS six category league makes sense over Boba Shett. I agree. Yeah. I think, I think Harper could have the advantage. Really. It would not surprise me in all five categories uh, in five of the six um, stolen bases withstanding there batting average. We just saw it was better last year. OPS was better. And we talked about this recently, Chris. I mean, there's so much variance year over year in in terms of counting stats, right? Like we all think the blue Jays lineup is going to be amazing. And on paper, it should. It but, will be good. But yeah, anything anything could happen. And, you know, on the other side of that, the Phillies lineup, they just added Nick Cassianos and Kyle Schwarber. Yeah. So, you know, Bryce Harper is going to be right in the middle of a ton of counting stats. So, yep. yeah, in, o, in OPS League, I would take Bryce Harper ahead of Bo Bichette. This one's from Jordan. A keeper question. 10-team head-to-head categories, league, uh, Yahoo Standard. Keep three of these four. Rafael Devers, Kyle Tucker, Freddie Freeman, Jacob deGrom. Leaning toward keeping all three bats, but the way deGrom has looked this spring is making me queasy about letting him go. Yeah, I mean, look, you're never going to feel good about uh, letting Jacob deGrom go when he looks like this, but I do have the other three ranked ahead of him. I guess the way you could look at it is... In a 10-team league, you know, having Devers, Tucker, and Freeman, it's not overkill. You can't have too many good players, but, you know, I I guess having DeGrom would give you that base in starting pitching, but I I think I would still just go with the three guys I have ranked higher um, and just... You know, you'll be you'll you'll hopefully be able to get a high end pitcher anyway. And Degrom is a very very good one. He's the best one in baseball when he's healthy. But I don't know. That's it is really tough. <laughs> um, I would keep I, the I, three hitters. I, I would keep the three hitters. Yeah, I would go away from Degrom. Look, as awesome as Degrom has looked, Chris, I, I think that you've summed this up very well. Is it? It's not a matter of how he looks now. It's, you know, can he be, how is he going to look a month from now? How is he going to look two months from now? Is he going to be healthy by then? Because for the first two or three months last season, he was far and away the best pitcher in baseball, really for the past couple of years. But, you know, there's no doubting when he's on the field, how great he's going to be. It's just, you know, how long will that last? So I still have those concerns for DeGrom. I would keep the three hitters and then just load up on a bunch of pitchers early on. Maybe even use like your first two or three picks on pitchers. This one's from Dave. I'm in a 12-team head-to-head points league with five keepers. Keepers count as your first five picks. I'm keeping Bo Bichette, Freddie Freeman, Corbin Burns, and Robbie Ray. I can't decide between Alex Bregman, Bobby Witt, or Justin Verlander as my fifth. I read this question, Chris, Hmm. and I couldn't figure it out because Verlander gives you the best chance to win this year. It's a head-to-head points league. Yeah. But Bobby Witt has this massive upside. He could, you know, we could be talking about him as a, you know, top two or three round player next year. 
it's tough. So how long do you get to keep the players is the key. Is it just one season? It doesn't say here. It doesn't say. If it's just for 2022 or 2023, I think you just keep Verlander because he's my highest ranked player of this group and I think he gives you the best chance to win this season. But if you could keep it for 2024, then just having you know Bobby Witt potentially locked in, like you know Justin Verlander has value for this year and maybe next year. But that's it. That's the end of his career. Almost certainly. Yeah. Wit, you know, if you're talking about 2024, then it starts to get a little more interesting. But I think Verlander giving you the best chance to win right now and still potentially being a very high end option next season if he's good this season, I I, I would lean Verlander over Wit um, and over Bregman. Well said. I agree. This one's from Brian. Grade the trade. Give Kevin Gosman, Kyle Tucker, and Luis Robert. Get Max Scherzer. Mookie Betts, and Jonathan India in a head-to-head points league. Okay, so give Scherzer, Betts, and India. Get, sorry, get Scherzer, Betts, and India. Give Gosman. I think the Ooh. collection of players that you're giving up is better overall, but I think you're getting higher-end talent. In a head-to-head points league, I think I would rather have the ace yeah. in Max Scherzer. Mookie Betts. In a points league, I think it's still going to be better than Kyle Tucker. It's yep, close. I think better than Tucker. Um, yeah, I. It's close. I'll like give the it a, gap between Robert and India is hard to overcome. Uh, I think it sort of depends on the the depth of the league too. Yeah. If it's a ten team league, it's even easier to just take the the downgrade um, because those two higher end guys are are better. I I lean towards saying yes, but. It's really tough because there's a chance that India is, I don't know if droppable in a points league, but you know certainly a fringe starter, whereas I think Gosman, Tucker, and Robert are going to be must-start guys. So it's tough. C is an even trade. I think you won this trade slightly. I'll give you a C plus. Do you have a grade, Chris? Uh, yeah, I'd say C plus-ish. Okay, let's wrap up with some fantasy justice. <laughs> gets me every time in case you're wondering what is fantasy justice if, if this is the first time you're hearing it uh adam azer who used to host this podcast used to do fantasy regulators but for copyright reasons we can no longer do fantasy regulators so if you have a question that is not fantasy related that you know pertains to your league maybe rules or vetoes or some kind of corruption going down send us an email and put fantasy justice in the subject line. Dear Sal, Murr, and Q. Uh, I got no idea. What? Those are the Impractical Jokers, Chris. Oh, yeah. God, I don't watch that show. Oh, it's so I've, funny, I've seen it like during March Madness, and that's about it. I don't know that there is anything on television that can make me laugh harder than Impractical Jokers. It is. It's good. It's really good. I like it. Uh, this, uh, so let's jump in. I am in a 12-team head-to-head points league with daily lineups. This is the second year of our Keeper League, and I am the commissioner. At the end of the trade deadline of the 2021 season, a team traded Yuan Moncada, Michael Kopech, and Cattell Marte for Vlad Jr. The manager that traded away Vlad Jr. was clearly not planning to stay in the league after the first season. 
They never paid, and they made few waiver, waiver wire moves. The manager that traded Vlad was also out of playoff contention and would have needed keepers in return. The new manager taking over felt obligated to keep those three pieces instead of better pieces. As commissioner at the time, I considered vetoing the trade, knowing all of this. Should I have vetoed, and should anything be done to the teams before the 2022 draft? There's nothing you can do after the fact, but right. this is one of those scenarios in which, yeah, you you would consider, um, you know, vetoing a trade because that's clearly not balanced. Even in a keeper league, Johan Mankata, Michael Kopech, and Cattell Marte, unless there's like some massive difference in the salaries involved, that that's clearly a non-balanced trade. And if the guy trading away Vlad Jr. was clearly not invested in his team moving forward, then yeah, that's absolutely the type of situation where the, the commissioner should or at least can stand step in and and prevent that because it's for the good of the league. Now, you know, the, the new manager taking over felt obligated to keep those three pieces instead of better pieces. Look, he didn't make that trade. So he's under no obligation to, t- to keep those players. He should keep the best players. And so you know, maybe offer him the ability to go back and keep the better players rather than having to stick with the lopsided trade that he didn't make. Um, but yeah, I think this is one of the rare scenarios in which I, I think you absolutely do consider vetoing a trade is when it's, you know, th- this is going to impact. It's it's all about whether the players involved are operating in good faith. And clearly the, the manager who was trading away Vlad Jr. wasn't. He wasn't operating with an intention of you know building his team for the to be the best it can be in the future. He didn't care about that. And so, you know, when you're talking about a trade like that of a player like Vlad for keepers, you can live with a player making their team worse in the short term if it's going to make them better. But clearly that wasn't the case here and he wasn't operating in good faith. And so, that's where the commissioner absolutely should consider stepping in and moving forward, you know, if you have a player that you think isn't isn't interested or invested in the league moving forward, then yeah, you should probably consider not allowing them to make trades. Chris, what do you do though in a scenario? I'm, I'm just, this is a hypothetical. What if the person trading away Vlad Jr. just has a ton of faith in Yoan Moncada and Michael Kopech and Cattell Marte and they think in their eyes that this is a good trade? Then, the, then, as the, as the, then they're as, allowed to make a bad trade. Okay. I think the distinction here is that they didn't think the guy making the trade wanted to be in the league anymore. Sure. You know, he never paid. He wasn't like, if you haven't paid, I'm fine not allowing someone who never paid their league entry fee to to make moves. Like, I I think that's a perfectly reasonable response to someone not because that 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 person's not invested in the league. And ultimately, it's not it's not about is a trade fair or is a trade, you know, like people are allowed to make mistakes with the teams that they're paying for. The question is, is that person trying to win? And in this case, they weren't. And in this case, they weren't trying to win in 2022 either. So, you know, that's where it comes down to. It's not, I'm not here to like tell people to hold managers hands and, and say, you know, <laughs> hey, you can't make that trade because it's a bad trade. It, it's fully about whether someone is operating with the intention of winning their league or making their team better. And this, this person wasn't. Well said, and I, I agree that the person who's taking over that team should not have to keep those three players, even though that was part of the quote-unquote keeper trade. So definitely allow them to uh, keep whatever players are available on the roster. Fantasy justice mm-hmm. has been served. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to wrap there for Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching all of our mailbag podcasts this off season. We will see you again on Monday. Bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.